are the language of the soul. They have a way of touching our hearts like few other influences can. This is why Jesus used storytelling so often to illustrate deeper truths. He knew the power of a story to cut through to the heart. These now famous stories are known as parables. They were Jesus' way to communicate important kingdom principles in a form that we could remember, in a way that would touch us. Although the details of these stories were fictional, the kingdom principles are not. They are true. They are eternal. Today, these stories continue to remind us who God is, what he calls us to be a part of, and how much he loves us. If you have a Bible, open it up to Matthew chapter 13. That will be our text today, Matthew chapter 13. As the intro video said, stories really are the language of the soul, the language of the heart. We connect through stories. We remember stories. Stories have an ability to to draw people together, to form a sense of identity. My guess is you recently or will soon gather around a table with family or friends, and, and I'm sure there'll be a meal there. And if you're not in a hurry, you'll sit there for a while and you're, you will enjoy that meal and you will have great conversation and there will be stories. You will tell stories. You will hear stories. Some of those stories probably, depending on who's around the table, you have heard before, but that's okay. Maybe you hear a little bit different detail this time. Maybe you could recite the story as it's being told because it's so familiar, but it's okay because those are your stories. They draw you together. We love stories. We connect through stories. An ancient wisdom wisdom proverb said, tell me the facts and I will learn. Tell me the truth and I will believe. But tell me a story and it will live in my heart. Jesus knew that was true. That's why Jesus talked in stories. That's why he taught in stories. That's why he, as he revealed the nature of the kingdom in his life and in his teaching, told stories. He wanted to connect with people. He wanted to stir emotion within people. He wanted to to draw in this sense of collective identity with people through storytelling. And Jesus was a great storyteller. We call some of Jesus' stories parables. That word literally means to throw alongside if you break down the Greek in that word it means to throw alongside and that's what Jesus did he held two things side by side on one hand the the earthly the ordinary the familiar the everyday things that we understand that we relate to and then on the other hand the eternal the spiritual profound kingdom truth And if you can somehow understand this familiar thing, this everyday ordinary thing, then maybe you can understand the connection to the extraordinary, to the spiritual. And thus, you will understand and accept more readily the eternal truth, the spiritual truth. And as Jesus told these stories, the details of these stories were imagined. You might say they were fictional. You know, a farmer goes out. Or there is a pearl or a fisherman. And and so Jesus is telling these stories using what he imagines, all familiar things. And yet the principles from these stories are not imagined. They're not fictional. They are true. They are eternal. And that's why we're calling this series we're launching today, True Story. 
These are true stories, these parables. Jesus is conveying deep, eternal kingdom truth through these stories. As we do each time we launch a series, we have Discovery Bible Study bookmarks. Those are available out in the lobby. They're also on our church website. And it's a good time for me to put in a plug for a DBS, Discovery Bible Study. It's a great resource. It's a great opportunity. And as I usually say up here on, on days that we kick off series, if you've never tried a Discovery Bible Study, let me just encourage you to, to at least give it a try. At the very least, just take a bookmark with the questions on it, and in your own personal study, maybe journal your answers to these questions, or have a conversation with God about these questions over these particular texts, in this case, obviously, the parables of Jesus. But even, well, I was going to say better than that, I don't know if it's better, but another facet to doing that is not just doing that in your solo time with God, but, but gather others, two or three family or friends, and just sit down and open up God's word together. We say the Bible is important to us, but how much time do you truly spend in God's word and with other people discussing God's word apart from what happens in this building? And just invite two or three people to come together, look at this text. There are very specific questions that are aimed at understanding better who God is, who we are, what he wants for us and from us, how we can live in community together, important questions. So I would encourage you to take advantage of that great resource. Again, those physical, actual bookmarks are out in the lobby, and you can also access that on our website. As we think about our first parable today, I want to give you a, a passage from, from Paul, actually, that really serves as a great foundational cornerstone for not just today's parable but really for all of Jesus's parables and it comes from Romans 10 verse 17 a familiar verse to some a very simple concept and yet illustrates a profound truth and that is that faith comes from hearing the message and the message is heard through the word of Christ or the word about Christ Paul says, if you want to come to a place of faith, you first have to hear the message. You have to be exposed to the gospel, the good news. And again, that sounds so simple, so, so obvious, and it, and it is. But I think a couple of things. First of all, we sometimes view Christianity as an academic, knowledge-based endeavor. You know, if I could just hear the truth and study, we even use that word, don't we? Study our Bible. And, and that's fine, but I think it does reveal our, our mindset a little bit. We've got to study our Bible as though there's a test coming up. And if I can just do well enough on the test, then that means I'm a pretty good Christian. Or if I do really well on the test, I'm a great Christian. And yet at the same time, the other side of that is, as Paul points out, you must hear the message. You must be exposed to the message. Your mind must process the truth that is shared about Jesus, about the kingdom of God. And you must ultimately make a decision based on that information. And so in some ways, it is a mind exercise, at least initially. But I think this is a great foundational principle for looking at this parable today the notion that faith begins with first of all hearing 
It starts with hearing the message. It doesn't end there, and that's not all that is to it, but it certainly is important, hearing the message. Most of us have have flown before. We've been on an airplane. Some of you fly very frequently for your job, or maybe you like to travel, and so it's not uncommon for you to, to fly multiple times throughout the year. Others of us probably fly a little bit less than that, but most of us who have flown understand that after you board the plane, before the plane takes off, there are some protocols. There are some things that happen on the plane. The captain usually comes over the intercom and welcomes everyone and maybe gives a quick weather report and here's our destination. It's going to take this long and, you know, and then the flight attendant comes out and what does he or she do? They do the safety information speech, the briefing. It's an important speech, and they grab that laminated card, it's in the back of the seat back, and they hold it up, and they even have a seat belt, and they show you how to fasten it and unfasten it, and then the oxygen mask, here's how you put it on, and make sure you tighten it up, and parents put it on your face first before you try to put it on a child. We all have heard the speech before, but think about the last time you flew. To what extent did you really listen to this speech? Did you listen to this speech? One of the last times I flew, I decided, you know what? I'm going to listen. I'm going to be an active listener. I have empathy towards someone who stands in front of people saying something and no one is listening. (laughs) I thought, so I'm going to listen. And so I took out the little laminated card. I nodded my head, affirming. I buckled my seatbelt and unbuckled it. Yeah, that's how that works. Okay. I know the flight attendant either thought, man, this guy has never flown before and he's scared to death or you know maybe he's just trying to get in good and get an extra bag of pretzels I don't know why this guy is doing this because it's unexpected people don't listen to the safety speech why not why don't we I was going to say they why don't we listen to the safety information briefing well there's probably a number of reasons why there's probably a number of reasons why we don't do that first of all it's familiar It's very familiar. If you've flown before, you've heard this speech a thousand times. You know what they're going to say. It's old news. And besides, you don't want to appear to your fellow passengers like, you know, this is your first time. You're not not a seasoned veteran of, of airline travel. And so, yeah, I've heard this all before. For some, it's just not relevant. Do I really need to know this? I mean, what are the odds that our plane is going to go down? And if it does go down, is it really going to matter if my seat cushion doubles as a flotation device as I fly from Oklahoma City to Dallas? (laughs) (laughs) If we crash over Lake Texoma somehow, it's going to be important information. So maybe just for some people, it's just not relevant. For others, they're just distracted, right? You know, you're getting the kiddos settled with the snacks and the bags and the media and the, all that stuff, or, or maybe you're, you're getting your own stuff settled or you're texting last minute before the plane takes off and you have to switch your phone to airplane mode, or maybe you're staring out the window watching them throw your precious luggage onto the airplane, thinking, well, there it goes. We're distracted, and so I don't really have time to listen to what's happening there because i got other things going on. Think about it. A message that could save lives is ignored. A message that could save lives is ignored over and over and over again. I'm sure you see the connection. 
Why don't people listen to the life-saving message of Jesus? You could probably break it down to some of the same reasons, right? For some people, it's that they've heard it all before. For others, it's, it's just not relevant. How does what you say is so important from that book that you're reading How does that have anything to do with my life? I'm trying to raise my kids. I'm trying to work two jobs. I'm trying to pay the bills. I'm just trying to get by. And and that really, what you're talking about, has nothing to do with my life. No connection there. For others, maybe they're just distracted. So much going on. So many other things happening. Don't have time for that. Doesn't really fit in. Probably a number of reasons. Our first parable in this series is the foundational parable. It is the parable of all parables in many respects because it is about listening to Jesus. It is about listening and internalizing and letting the word make a difference in your life about responding to the life-saving message of Jesus. This parable is the first parable of substance in Matthew, Mark, and Luke's Gospels. It is one of two parables that have a title in the text. It is one of three parables that has a detailed interpretation in the biblical text. It is the parable of the sower, or as we sometimes refer to it, the parable of the soils. It is very familiar to a lot of people. At the heart of this parable is the heart, your heart. What are you doing with the life-saving message of Jesus? And I want to ask that question from two different vantage points as we look at this parable, from the perspective of the sower, but also the perspective of the soil. So in Matthew 13, Jesus walks out to the Sea of Galilee. Crowds start to gather around, and so he gets into a boat that is just off the shore, and people close in on the shore around the boat. And if you go there today, there are still places around the north side of the Sea of Galilee that probably one of them is this spot where maybe a tour guide will will actually stand in a boat off the shore. People will gather on the beach and he will speak. And it's amazing how you can hear this natural reverberation of the voice coming off the water. You can imagine Jesus standing in this boat, actually sitting in this boat, as the text says, and he is telling these stories not just to entertain not even just to provide a sense of collective identity he's telling these stories because it is the language of the soul the heart to make a deep connection with these people and so here's how he starts in verse three he told them many things in parables saying a farmer went out to sow his seed as he was scattering the seed some fell along the path and the birds came and ate it up Some fell on the rocky places where it did not have much soil. It sprang up quickly because the soil was shallow. But when the sun came out, the plants were scorched, and they withered because they had no root. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil, where it produced a crop, a hundred, sixty, or thirty times what was sown. Whoever has ears, let them hear." A phrase that you're going to hear over and over in this parable and in this chapter. In fact, the title of next week's sermon is Ears to Hear because he will get into the kingdom parables at the end of Matthew 13. 
And he goes back to this phrase. Again, that's why this is the parable of all parables. You have ears, you need to use them. And it's not just what you know, my elementary teachers used to say to me. Hey, you have ears, use them. It's deeper than that. You have the message right there. Listen to it. Let it change you from the inside out. Respond to it. Do you have ears to hear? That is the whole point. Jesus tells this story, a story that would be familiar to many of his audience that day, probably something that they had either recently done or were about to do. A farmer goes out and he broadcasts some seed and he doesn't do it like we do it today with machinery and things to make it in precise rows. He just sort of scatters it, broadcasts it. And so it falls on, on different types of soil in different places. And each type of soil, except the good fertile soil, did not produce sustained growth for the seed because of various reasons. On the path, the birds come along, the rocky places, the soil is not deep enough, and so it really can't take root. And the sun comes and scorches it and burns it up. And then the seed on the, where the thorns are and the weeds, they crowd out the growth. And yet on the good soil, the fertile soil, we see this seed take root and it grows and it produces a crop say okay that's a story we can understand even if we aren't farmers which most of us probably aren't we get it but what's behind it not just what does it mean but why is Jesus telling this story his parables really are revealing something uncovering something what is he truly trying to get at here and some scholars have said well he's talking about Israel This is an indictment against God's covenant people because they, throughout their history, have continued to ignore the message of God. The prophets of God have spoken time and time again, and yet they continue to ignore or dismiss what the prophets say. In fact, he quotes one of Israel's prophets, Isaiah, in this text in Matthew 13. Look at verse 14. In them is fulfilled the prophecy of Isaiah, You will be ever hearing, but never understanding. You will be ever seeing, but never perceiving. For this people's heart has become calloused. They hardly hear with their ears, and they have closed their eyes. Otherwise, they might see with their eyes, hear with their ears, understand with their hearts, and turn. And I would heal them. I think we know that humans throughout history have struggled with calloused hearts If your eyes are focused on the material, on the physical, then your ears won't discern the spiritual. If our hearts are set on what is here, on my ambitions, on the world, on my circumstances, then my heart will often miss what God is doing, the eternal. And if this parable is, in fact, an indictment on Israel, they aren't the only ones who are guilty. Jesus knew there were people among his crowd in his day, Jewish people, part of God's covenant called out people who struggled with his message, who struggled to hear the word of God spoken in the life and in the teachings of Jesus as he revealed the true nature of the kingdom. And today the same thing is true. Today are there people who dismiss, ignore, flat out reject the word of God the message of Jesus absolutely 
And so Jesus explains his story. He explains the parable back in the text, verse 18. Listen then to what the parable of the sower means. When anyone hears the message about the kingdom and does not understand it, the evil one comes and snatches away what was sown in their heart. This is the seed sown along the path. The seed falling on the rocky ground refers to someone who hears the word and at once receives it with joy. But since they have no root, they last only a short time. When trouble or persecution comes because of the word, they quickly fall away. The seed falling among the thorns refers to someone who hears the word, but the worries of this life and the deceitfulness of wealth choke the word, making it unfruitful. But the seed falling on good soil refers to someone who hears the word and understands it. This is the one who produces a crop, yielding 160 or 30 times what was sown. So Jesus says, let me tell you this story and then let me tell you what this story means. So you, you can't miss it. Different types of soil, different results. Different hearts, different responses. So what is the seed he is talking about? This is an important question. And by the way, as we go through these parables, sometimes there is a temptation to assign meaning to certain things, certain parts, certain details in the story. We need to be careful about that. You know, here's what the coin represents. Here's what the sheep represents. Here's what the doorway represents. Well, if that doesn't come from the text explicitly, then we are making some assumptions. And those assumptions may be based on context and other good things. And, you know, you have to do some interpretive work as you read the biblical text, even beyond the parables. But just be careful. I've heard people read parables and they, they come up with a, an interpretation way over here because they've assigned certain parts, certain details in the parable, certain symbolic meanings that may or may not be true. Well, with this parable, we don't have to guess, we don't have to assume. What is the seed? Luke's gospel says it is the word of God. Here in Matthew's gospel, it is specifically the message of the kingdom, verse 19. The message of of the kingdom of God. Jesus was announcing the good news of the kingdom of God as it was breaking in, as heaven began to come to earth in the form, in the life, ultimately in the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it was news, this news about the kingdom, this word about the kingdom, it was news that many people in Jesus' day were not ready for. They struggled to accept because it was different than the kingdom that they had envisioned, that they had expected, that they had wanted. You see, the kingdom they wanted and expected was a kingdom of physical, maybe military, maybe governmental power. It was a kingdom that released God's people from oppression from Rome. Just as God to their ancestors, brought them out of Egypt and oppression. These people in the first century were waiting for God to do that again. It just the players had changed. This time it was Rome and the oppression of Rome. And the kingdom, as it broke through in their minds, was going to be this king that would ultimately lead God's people back to prominence. And Jesus comes along and he says, here's the true nature of the kingdom. A kingdom about mercy and sacrifice and love 
and humility. A kingdom led by a suffering savior, not a mighty military leader. And some people just weren't ready for that. They just could not wrap their minds around that. They had ears, but they could not hear. Their hearts were calloused to what God was doing through Jesus. And so there were different responses, just as there are today. And these soils in this story, in this parable, represent some of those responses, some of those hearts, you might say. And in fact, it's not just different people, because I think many of us could attest, you know, sometimes in my own heart, I've gone from soil to soil, (laughs) depending on stage of life or struggles or something else. You know, there was a time when maybe there was just so much going on and the weeds and the thorns were just crowding out the good news of Jesus or maybe my heart was was hardened because of grief or because of of something else and and boy the the word of God the truth of God the love of God never really took root because something would always come along and snatch it away so as we look at this parable I want us again as I said earlier to think about it from two different vantage points I'm going to ask a question with each one and the first The first perspective is this, from the sower, from the sower, the one broadcasting the seed. Nothing will happen if the word is not planted. Nothing is going to happen in this world if the word is not planted. Sometimes we worry about our country, we worry about our family, we worry about different parts of our lives. We want change to happen. Change is never going to happen if we don't speak into these contexts. If the word is never planted, how can we ever expect people to live in such a way that represents the word of God? I was talking to Jack Lowry the other day, one of our shepherds, and he has a garden, and I don't know anything about gardening, except I like the stuff that comes out of a garden. And I was just asking him about, you know, what are you growing? And he was telling me some of the different things that he's growing, all kinds of things. So I say we all, if we need vegetables, we just ask Jack for vegetables, okay? He's growing all kinds of things. And he was talking about the weeds. And he said, there's always weeds. I always got to go out there. He said, but you know, sometimes I just don't mess with it and stuff still grows. But then sometimes I got to go out there and pull weeds. He said, you know what? People always ask me, how do you get things to grow? How do you get things to grow? He said, there's one thing that's most important. Do do you remember that movie City Slickers a while back? And Curly is sitting on the horse and he's like, there's one thing, one thing. That's what Jack was doing. There's one thing. I'm like, okay, this is good. I don't know anything about gardening, but I'm about to get the one thing. He said, here's the one thing. If you don't ever plant seeds, nothing will grow. (laughs) Thanks, Jack. Captain Obvious there, yeah. If you don't ever plant seeds, nothing will grow. And you know what? That's exactly right. And as ambassadors of Christ, people who are called by God as messengers of the good news, that's the gospel, the good news in a world that desperately needs good news, if we don't ever speak that word, how are we going to expect change to happen? Well, by my example, I'm going to set a good example. Well, that, and that's great. Please do set a good example. Because if you are speaking, if people know you're a Christ follower, 
and your life is living contrary to your words, that's going to do more damage than, than just if your words were there on their own. So yes, set that good example. But that's not enough. Because how do we make that connection for people? They need to know why we live a certain way. They need to know why we have these values. They need to know why these things are important to us. They need to know why we do what we do. And if we never make that connection to them, they're just going to think, well, they're, they're pretty good people. They're pretty friendly people. Or, yeah, the guy I work with, he's a nice guy. He's a good guy. And, and again, that's, that's great. But we aren't called to be good guys and great gals. We are called to be followers of Jesus, disciples of Christ. And we need to make that connection. So we need to speak. We need to plant the seed of the gospel in people's hearts and lives. And there's a lot of different ways to do that. So here's the question. How are you sowing the word of God in people's hearts? As you think about your own life, what are you doing? What are you doing? to actually speak the good news. To live it out, yes, to embody it, absolutely. That's so incredibly important, especially in a day and time when we have a lot of speakers and not necessarily a lot of people living it out. But we must speak, plant those seeds of the gospel. We can't expect good results from good soil if we never share the good news. Second vantage point. Not just from the perspective of the sower, but what about the soil? And here's the truth that comes out of that perspective. If the heart is not receptive, the ears won't hear. If the heart is not receptive, the ears won't hear. Hearing happens here. Even Jesus says, you know, you have those ears, use them to listen. But listening really happens here, doesn't it? Internalizing. It happens in the heart just like the important safety speech in the airplane. You won't listen to the message of Jesus if you think you've heard it all before or if you think it's irrelevant for your life right now or if you're simply distracted by so many other things in this world. And isn't that the case for many people today, including some of us? There's just so much noise out there. I don't know if you've seen the the technology for these noise cancellation headphones and earplugs, whatever you call those things you stick in your ear, noise cancellation. The technology on these things is incredible. Active noise cancellation. What it does is it has a little microphone that picks up low frequencies of the, of the sounds going on. And then it produces the, what they call the anti-sound or the anti-sound, the opposite of that frequency. And so if it detects... A high sound wave, it will produce a low, the opposite sound wave, and they will cancel each other out. And so it goes through doing that, canceling the background noise out. That's why when you put those things in your ear, you can't hear what's happening around you because it is actually producing sound that is canceling the other sound. Isn't that incredible? That's amazing to me. Anti-sound. How many times are our ears tuned to the anti-sounds? Sometimes they come from inside of us, that voice of doubt, that voice of selfishness, that voice of pride, 
of desire. Sometimes they're voices from the media, sometimes from culture, sometimes from friends or family saying, why do you believe that? Sometimes they are the voice that comes from what we think is human logic. Why would God say that? Why would Christians believe that? In our world, in this day and time, that doesn't make sense. I can't, I can't reconcile that. You see, the anti-sounds are so loud. And every time we hear them, whether they're from within or from without, they work to cancel, to cancel the word of God, the truth. So here's the question. What is the condition of your heart? What is the condition of your heart? I mean, I could ask, how are your ears? Can you hear very well? But it's deeper than that. Are you listening? Is your heart open and receptive to the message that God has for you? Well, how do you know? How do I know if my heart is receptive? How do I know if my heart is open to God? He tells us. What does he say? He says, in this good soil, that seed takes root, and what happens? It grows, and it not only grows, but it produces a crop. It multiplies. You see, production, producing a crop, a harvest, that is the external, visible evidence of internal transformation. Something in your life bears witness to what's happening inside of you. The work of the Spirit inside of you bears witness on the outside of you, how you speak, how you live, how you treat people. Did you notice in here there's not a soil that is good that does not produce? You see, many people who claim to be Christians today, they say, I believe in God, I believe in Jesus, but you know, I really, I want to kind of live my own way. I want to do my own thing, but I'm a good person. I didn't see that type of soil in here. The only good soil in here is the soil that produces, that bears witness through visible, tangible evidence of the growth that is happening as the seed is planted and nurtured and grows. If I can quote Jesus, but my life isn't shaped by his teachings and his example, what good is it? If I can answer more Bible questions than you can, but that information has little to do with how I live my life, what good is it? If I go to church and I listen to sermon after sermon, and sometimes I go to class and I listen to lesson after lesson, but I just leave them there in the building, they really make no difference in my life, what good is it? You see, when God's word, his living word, is at work in your heart and in your life, you will bear fruit. You say, okay, what, is, what does that look like? Well, I think a great place to start is where the Bible starts. The fruit of the Spirit in Galatians 5. The fruit of the Spirit. Just think about that image. The fruit of the Spirit. When the Spirit is living in you, it bears this type of fruit. What type of fruit? Love. Joy peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, these types of things. 
These are evident in your life, in your interactions with other people. But not just there, other types of fruit. And here's the amazing thing, the sort of cyclical nature of this parable. The soil bears fruit and becomes the sower. A part of the fruit that you bear as a follower of Christ is then to, one, to, to become one who proclaims, who sows the seed of the good news of the gospel, the kingdom message. The soil becomes the sower. Craig Keener said this, the only conversions that count in the kingdom are those confirmed by a life of discipleship. A life of discipleship. A life that bears witness to what God is doing inside us. So what is the condition of your heart? Only you can answer that question. You know if there's something there blocking you from listening to responding to the message of God. If there's bitterness there, if there's stubbornness there, if there's grief there, if there's something else there that is keeping you from being receptive to the message of God, it's time to surrender it to God. To ask God to remove it from your heart so you can hear, so you can be tuned in to the message that he has for you, the word of the Lord. If we can encourage you today or help you, let us do that. In just a moment, a couple of our shepherds and their wives will be in the parlor. It's a little room off the hallway behind me. When we stand in just a moment, you can exit out any of these doors, make your way there. They'd be happy to encourage you, to pray for you, to hear you, or you can come down to the front. Maybe today you're ready to express your belief that Jesus lived on this earth, that he died on a cross, that he didn't stay in that tomb, that God raised him back to life. And you want that same power at work in your life as you claim Jesus as Lord. Maybe today you're ready to be baptized into Christ. We would love to celebrate with you. There's something we can do. We invite you to come as we stand and sing. Let's stand. Lord, I come.